Wow, thank you, Tim. Ladies and gentlemen. Wow, I love that time. We, you will, some of you are new here. I'm going to brag a little bit. We do music well. Welcome to Prairie. I know, give it up. I love that time of the week, this worship service. A little bit of um, opening comments. I want to uh, encourage you uh, to be sure to watch the schedule. We're going to be spinning some tires in the next week as we ramp up with a very big week next week. We've got the freshman retreat this weekend that Mark already mentioned, and we've got um, Tim and the Glory Boys on Tuesday. On Tuesday morning, chapel, one week from now, community chapel, and then Wednesday and Thursday, we've got um, Dr. Daniel Block coming in. Uh, courtesy of a friendship with Dr. Carmen Imes. It's great to have her helping us land some of these uh, great speakers. And she was one of her um, influencers, mentors, and instructors when she was at Wheaton. Uh, I believe this is the book that you use, Mark, as one of your textbooks. Not yet. Not yet. I, I believe it will be. Pardon, pardon me for doing that. I thought it was. Mark has it um, well read. He uh, was schooling me on it. Uh, this book, For the Glory of God, who is our speaker next week. Um, our, our subject is connecting the Old Testament to our faith and why the Old Testament is so important to our faith. But one of um, uh, Dr. Block's major themes is the importance of worship. And... Uh, at the beginning of every paragraph through this book, Mark pointed this out to me, I didn't read it last night, he puts the same exact phrase at the beginning of every paragraph. Like he kind of, to sort of, let's hit that nail again, let's hit that nail again, let's make this point again. True worship, true worship involves reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accord with his will. I think we're going to learn a lot about worship next week. And one of the things about worship is um, that Dr. Block keeps making the point is it's not about singing and it's not about the words that we use. It's actually there are various forms of worship. There are various things that we can do to submit ourselves to a reverence or to bring life to the words that are being sung. I remember one year, um, I sort of marked off that any time there was a, a, the Lord was mentioned in a song, I would put up one of my hands. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't intended by, to be noticed or anything like that. It was just, that was my acknowledgement of the Lord. Um, and it wasn't intended to be sort of setting a pace. And, and I don't know that I told anybody. But we hope that you will feel welcome in this service and on this campus to take whatever posture helps you bring life to the words that we sing. Because in fact, we're on somewhat um, risky ground if we say words and don't mean them, right? If we say things and it doesn't just kind of connect, think that, you know, um, I've heard Hannah Landon say it, and I think she's probably quoting someone else, but I'll give her credit for it. Great original thought. Um, but the, the, the greatest dis distance on earth is the distance between your head and your heart. We have to get these words into our heart 
And so um, whatever it means when you're in this service, uh, whatever helps you with a posture of worship, whether it's standing or sitting at the same time, different people doing different things, um, whether it's getting into the aisles and dancing or kneeling, um, raising your hands or just settling down before God Almighty. We use our bodies as part of our worship and we want to give you the freedom to do that. Don't try and conform. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you're worried about what the person beside you is thinking, you're worried about the wrong person in the room. Um, And so we come before God. Uh, To set a different pace this year, I'm going to plan to be in here when I'm on campus and and I I, I attempt to be on campus for all community chapels and and then I also stick around for Wednesday morning prayer and then, you know, sort of hit the road, which is part of my job. But um, uh, I'm going to try and get in here about 9.30 for prayer, whether it's to settle myself in and, and prepare for chapel or that's on Tuesdays. Uh, or if you happen to want to pray with me or want someone to pray with, um, I'm going to try and be here each week at 9.30. And if you feel like coming and praying with me, great. Um, if not, I'll have a good time um, just being here, settling in, getting ready. But I, I do want to invite you to, to come on in, uh, whether it's to settle with yourself and get ready for chapel or um, to pray with someone else. Let me mention also next week that um, dinner on Thursday. I think that'll be a great time. Peter Dunn graduated 50 years ago. He and his wife are coming back. Uh, we're recognizing them as alumni of the year for what will be the alumni reunion. I'm sort of clicking off all these different things. Next week, the alumni will be back on campus, and um, that'll be Thursday, uh, Friday. Thursday evening is the dinner, if you sign up for it. Friday, and and there's no cost to it. Friday and Saturday will be all the alumni events. I want to mention especially Friday night, re-graduation. I hope you'll make time to be there. It's a very special time when we gather around the students who graduated 50 years ago. Okay, that's pretty cool, because we get a chance to hear their stories, and we get a chance to celebrate with them, and we do what we call regraduate them. And uh, they come back from all over the world, and they've been living all over the world. It's a cool thing. We'll uh, look forward to doing it for you uh, 50 years from now, or whenever your graduation is. Um, At least I hope we still do it. Um, But that service ends with a time of prayer. They gather around all of you who are graduating this year to pray for you. Don't miss that. It's the passing of the baton. It's the passing of the, their, their mantle to you. And you'll want to be there for that Friday night next week. I'll mention other things next week, but anyway, enough about that. So we're into, whoops, I left my, no, I got it here. Oh yeah, we do uh, every week or occasionally have different people who are um, on campus uh, visiting this week. We, do I have slides coming up, Andrew? Can you just give them to me back there? I'll use them for talking points. Um, so, you know, it'll be better. I did a lousy job. But every week we have different, not every week, but often we have uh, different people coming on campus who are interesting people to introduce to you, or they're here to cheer for us, or they're here to help us do different things. So, um, I, uh, I just want to mention some people who are on campus today. Uh, my mother-in-law... Jane Burdan, Elaine's mother, welcome here. Yeah, give it up for my, for my mother-in-law. 
She was ironing shirts for me last night, and she said she really likes that shirt with the prairie logo, so I wear my colors proudly <laughs> for you, Grandma Jane. We've got two of my daughters back there, uh, and uh, our, uh, our granddaughter, or two of them, who are Deborah's kids. It's great to have you all here. Okay, our series. We are working on a series that we said was When Jesus Said I Am. There are many I am's through the the book of John. So this is going to be a bit of a flyby on the book of John this fall. So they are um, when Jesus said I am, period. We're going to look at that one today in John 8. He also said I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the Alpha and Omega. Those are all in John. I am the Alpha and Omega from Revelation 21. And I am, or he was identified as Emmanuel. I am with you. Um, There are many texts for that, including Revelation 21 and Matthew 1 and and, uh, Isaiah. All different facets of this person who was sent to us by God. Today... Um, I want to look at the one where uh, Jesus said, before Abraham was, or before Abraham was born, I am. This is in John 8, but to get the setting for this text, we want to look at the whole of that setting. So it it all begins in John 7 and ends in John 8. It's the week of of booze, it's the festival of booze, and um, through that week, or the festival of tents or tabernacles, all of this was gathered around one full week, an eight-day week, Started with Sabbath, ended with Sabbath, and uh, the, the week in between. And in it, Jesus said some amazing things during that week. For example, they're gathered to remember the time when God looked after them, the people of Israel, in the desert. And that's why they move into tents in their backyards. And today, even today, they'll build uh, uh, boxes on their um, apartment balconies and move out or have meals out in these um, little constructed boxes, uh, tents. And it's the festival of booths. So here we are. They go out, and they're remembering how God took care of them in the desert. Yeah, 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 but it's a lot more, right? Because it's all part of the story of God tabernacling with his people. And in the end, the tabernacles are us, right? We are the bodies, the temples of the living God. So in this setting, Jesus began his disruptive teaching with, I am not here on my own authority. So he's in the temple, uh, probably in the courtyard, talking with the people, and they were asking, who who are you? Um, He said, yes, you know me, and and you know where I'm from, but I'm not here on my own authority, but from him who sent me. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus is identifying himself as having been sent by God the Father. Okay, there would be some others who could claim that. But it's a little bit bothersome, a little arrogant, or true. One or the other. In, chapter, in John 7, verse 37, um, Jesus sort of begins to really integrate himself with their teaching. Because they have 
a, a ceremony there called the drawing of the water. They go down to the pool of Siloam, they bring it up, and what the Jewish people say uh, in the Talmud is that there is no joy. You've not seen joy if you've not seen the celebration of water drawing. Now this is remembering how God provided water in the desert, right? First, the bitter water into sweet, next, water from the rock, and then again, water from the rock. And that was a great piece of their salvation, right? Oh yes, but it was much more because it was about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit, God with them. Again, mm, tabernacling. Here it is, verse 37. On the last day, the greatest day of the festival, that would be the eighth day, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from them. What's interesting is, John, when he was writing this later, I think he had an aha moment. And it was like, oh, I understand it now. Or maybe somewhere in between. But I'm sure on that day, no one got it. But then in verse 39, John puts in the aha moment. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. He came what? In Acts 2, right? And John understood it later, I think. Certainly doubtful that he understood it on that day. By this he meant the Spirit. Oh my. Now the people are beginning to say, okay, is this man a prophet? Is he a Messiah? And others are saying he's a fraud. And of course, we're all given that choice of going halfway with him, going all the way with him, or sort of walking away from him. And that was actually what happened in John 7. John 8 continues where uh, later Jesus spoke again to the people in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Now this was related to the lighting ceremony that was also part of the festival of tabernacles. And we'll not go into that because we're going to have that as one of the series, I am the light. The very end of John 8 is where we come to our text for today. And that is uh, verses, let's go with... 49:50. He was being accused of being demon-possessed. In verse 49, John 8:49, "I am not possessed by a demon," Jesus said, "but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I say to you, whoever my word, whoever obeys my word will never see death." Okay, now he's really getting into some issues. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died. Like they point back to the, the patriarch, the founding of their whole tribe, right? Abraham died. Even he died. And so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Do you get a feeling for how rancorous this was? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. So did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Very healthy spirituality, that. We do not do anything for ourselves. We glorify it. We do it for the glory of the Father. My Father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Ooh. But I do know him, and I obey his word. 
And this is my challenge to us today. We can and are invited to know him and to obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they're kind of going, he saw it? I think Jesus was saying he understood it. He saw it in his mind, which would be what faith is, and was glad. They responded, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Here it is. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And I believe that ends the record of that week of the tabernacles. This radical person came in and said, I am. He was transcending the ages, going back through, past to the foundations of their nation, beyond that to the foundations of all creation. And they're looking at him going, this guy is nuts. Or it's true. What else comes to mind when you think about the I am? You remember Moses? Okay, so out of the foundation of the nation of Israel, out of the foundation of the Jewish people, there had to be at least two people that stood very, very tall, right? There's Abraham, and then there's Moses. And Jesus said, I am. Connecting himself also to the setting in the desert where Moses saw the burning bush. And he's talking to the bush. I like to call him Mr. Bush. Um, And he's... He's talking to the bush, and he's, and he's kind of having an argument, and he's kind of losing it. And he's kind of trying to figure out, how, do I, how can I talk myself, how can I talk this guy out of it? And he'll say, they'll never believe me, right? He was saying, who am I going to tell them told me? Who am I going to tell them sent me? I talked to a bush in the desert, right? Like, kind of of crazy. Okay, this is one of the cool things about this God that we have. He doesn't define himself by the framework or the, 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 the barriers that we set up. He wants to talk from a bush? Let's be good. He wants to do something interesting? He wants to do something weird? Let's be good. Let's welcome that. Let's just say, okay. You know, the first thing that God says when he shows up is, um, don't don't freak out. It's going to be okay, right? Fear not. Because he just goes beyond the boundaries of what we're comfortable with. He goes right out there. And don't we want to go there with him? Don't we want that? And this is my concern with us today is that we will hear and become hardened paths because we hear so much. You're on very risky ground. You're on sacred ground hearing the word of the Lord so often and so much. Don't let it crust over. Figure out what you can do to break it up. For the sake of of making a point, 
You know, Mark tells me the ground is cold, but I'd invite you to take your shoes off. Just kind of kick them off. I know it's a bit of a pain when you got lace us, but just maybe kick them off. To sort of symbolize the fact that what we're doing here is dealing with the Almighty and His Word. A story that's transformative and radical and a call on our lives to give up our trinkets and go for treasure. So he's having this conversation with the bush and God says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God, I am, get it? I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's actually introducing to Moses who he is because Moses is so far removed. Moses is now going into Bible college. He has no idea what's going on. But this God is going, listen, I have got this. And I want to tell you that this is the same God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned for their suffering. This is our God. Moses says, but who am I? And God says, but I am. Right? Who am I? And God says, I got that. I am. So later on, verse 13 in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to him, the God of your fathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, you know, those guys, sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? Prove it. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay, now back to John 8. You know every person within earshot of what Jesus said was listening, going, oh my word. He just claimed to be the God who spoke to Moses. That is absolutely radical. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So he goes to Egypt. He presents the case to the great Pharaoh. And he's kind of told, forget it. He goes back to God. It's gotten worse, God. You know, did you know that they're now making bricks twice as, you know, a lot more heavier load without help from, from the straw to make the bricks and all this kind of stuff. And it's gotten worse. Then the Lord said, this is Exodus 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I'm now telling you who I am. And over time, God has more and more given us revelation, understanding of who he is. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
Now remember, this is back at the time of slavery. And Moses is a picture of who Jesus was going to be, the Savior. He was the freedom fighter for the Israelites. And listen to this and think about how this compares to Jesus. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them for us to our sin. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land sworn that I swore it with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give you it to you as a possession. And this is the new earth for us. And then God finishes with, I am the Lord. The high point, you might think the high point of Moses' life was at the bush, or facing off with Pharaoh, or crossing the Red Sea, the great escape. I think the high point came in Exodus 33, 34. You're going, oh yeah, what happened then? That's when he got the tablets, right? Yes, true. But way more, he got the presence of God. Remember, that was when his face shone. When he would go into the tent of meeting, all the people rose at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. It's interesting to think that a person's worship for God would draw the attention of others and they would pause or stop. Now listen to this. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses, like a friend, face to face. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now Moses is growing in his understanding of God, and he's growing in his, I believe, love and affection for God, and he says, you have said, I know you by name, you have found, and that I have found favor with you. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. This is what we're here for, is to know God, truly know him and find favor with him. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. This is the greatest gift from God, the presence. And I will give you rest. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. We'll just stay right here. If this is where the presence is, we want to be here. And if you're not going to go with us, we're really hooped. Because if we go up there without you, we're going to be crushed. And we're told that his face shone radiantly after he had spoken with the Lord. We're told that throughout Exodus 34. But then he would put a veil over his face, right? Now, I always thought that that was about covering up the shine, because I, I picture this not as a, a, a dull, sim, simple glow. I picture this almost like a radiance, uh, like a sun. Okay, and I think we can take either one. You can do whatever you like with that. But um, I pictured him putting a veil over his face so that he wouldn't be so intimidating and holy. Apparently, that's not true. Apparently... Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, explains it. 
He put a veil over his face. This is 2 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 12, 13. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of the shine of what was passing. To this day, when Moses read, a veil still covers their hearts. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is where we are. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, who are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory that doesn't fade. This is the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest gift that God can give us. Jesus, in doing this, uh, in the commentaries that I was reading and skimming for, for prep, prepping, one of them said, this was Jesus' most powerful single statement before Abraham was, I am. Because all of this was all embedded in that one phrase, two words, I am. Jesus was saying, I am one with God Almighty, the Father. I am the light, the Savior bringing salvation. I am life bringing a new kingdom. And it's all because, I'm adding this, uh, because of the great love of God the Father. I am means self-existent, self-sufficient. No point of anybody else creating this person. From the beginning and before the beginning of time all the way through in self-sustaining, fully present, God with us, Emmanuel. I want to finish with the story uh, of Jesus' uh, first miracle, according to the book of John, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily if the book of John is in order, but let's say it is. His first miracle was turning water into wine. And uh, there's a phrase in the middle of that. So they're at a wedding, and uh, they run out of wine. And that's an embarrassment, and it's all these kind of things. And, and Jesus says, um, I, 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 think, I think we got a solution to this one. Call Jesus. And Jesus comes over, talks to his mother. The mother says, I, they have no more wine. And he says to his mother, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother kind of ignores her son's sentence, and, and she just says, um, listen, do whatever he says. Just, just do whatever he says. I guess if you're going to get ignored, you've got to obey your mother. <laughs> so Jesus said, um, do you have any stone water jars, the kind by the Jews for ceremonial washing? Fill them with water. So the servants did. Jesus said to the servants, fill them with water. So they filled them to the brim. I like that sentence. They filled them to the brim. You see, in this context, what's going on is we are the vessels. In this context, many of us have an old religion. Certainly the Jewish people had an old religion and it needed to be upgraded. And that's what Jesus was doing, was introducing a whole new paradigm the best paradigm possible, which was recognized later in the passage. They filled it to the brim. I invite you to be filled to the brim, to be carriers of this water 
that God will convert into a living message for the world, the world, message that the world desperately needs. They did so. And when they drew out the water, took it to the master of the banquet, the master tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it came from. But he called the bridegroom aside, everyone brings out the choice wine at the first, and you've, brought, you've saved the best till now. We are in an amazing period of time in church history, in human history. And we have a God who seems to want to move. And I want to invite all of us to be part of this. His call is to follow him because he is Lord. That means we repent, we forgive others, we believe, we love God, we love our neighbor. In loving our neighbor, we serve, we give and live generously. We make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we live together in holy communion. This is radical, radical surrender. We give up our small ambitions to live for up to his grand design. We give up our small ambitions to live in his great love and for his great glory. Jesus said, I mean, Mary said in the middle of it, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. This is our message today. Let's do whatever he says. He's worthy. And he has great plans for us. If we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, this is the mouth and the heart, bringing from what we know down into our heart. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We will be saved and that we can add a lot to that. We will be given freedom, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 3. We'll be given power, and we'll be given a mission worthy. I think I'm out of time. This is a great book. I'm, I'm sure some of you have read it. It's Radical by David Platt. Um, in it, he describes going to visit a house church in, uh, in China. So these are underground secret churches secret believers, and uh, he talks about their great love for the word. He was there for, uh, I think it was 10 days, and the first day he kind of met them and gave them a little devotional, and, this, and they said, could you, um, could you come back and, and teach us tomorrow? Uh, okay, what would you like to hear about? And they said, um, over the rest of this time that you're with us, 10 days, eight, eight days or nine, uh, we'd like you to teach us the, the Old Testament. Okay. He says, well, when do you want to meet? Well, you know, they say, you know same time tomorrow, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They said, oh, no, we'll, we'll come early. We'll, we'll come in the morning, early morning. So they came back. And uh, over the course of seven, one day less than the full, eight days, let's say it's eight and it was nine total that were left. Uh, over eight days, David continued to walk through the Old Testament. This is going to be our privilege next week. Right? to hear some of how the Old Testament connects to the New. But on the, as he finished, he was exhausted, right? This was like 12-hour days teaching through the Old Testament. And he's exhausted. And he's going, okay, well, we've got one day left. What would you like tomorrow? And they huddled together and talked about it. He said, we'd, we'd, we'd like you to do the New Testament. <laughs> this is a great hunger for the word. 
and the living word is Jesus. Um, you have that privilege. You have that opportunity set before you. Embrace it. Lean into it. Fall head over heels with this opportunity. Cherish the day, I pray. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege of gathering around your word. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And we ask for your presence. We ask for your Holy Spirit to walk among us, to guide us, to comfort us, to give us wisdom, to give us insight, to help us figure out how you want to solve our problems. We pray that you would provide for us in every way. We pray that you would give us wisdom way beyond our abilities. And help us, above all, to live in a community of love that we would be a light in this community shining for you. That they would know that Jesus is Lord because of our love for one another. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.